Good day, everyone. Welcome back to your favorite podcast. This is season two, episode three of a lawyer and a policy analyst walk into a bar. I'm the lawyer, Jadri Cummings. And I'm the policy analyst, Delano D'Souza. Welcome to episode three. Uh, we have another guest with us today, colleague of mine from, from years past who continues to do wonderful things uh, for Trinidad and Tobago and the region, Aurelia Bruce. And today we're going to be discussing the Venezuelan uh, Trinidad and Tobago migrant crisis. Hi, Jadri. Right. Hi, Delano. Hey, Aurelia. Lovely to have you. I know that this topic is something you can definitely shed some light on and we look forward to this discourse today. Definitely. And it's good to be here with you guys. Um, um, well, just in terms of background, and you know, we like to jump right into it. I, I really don't know if you want to say a, a little bit about yourself before we do so, just so the audience knows who we have with us today. Uh, I am Aurelia Bruce, as Delano and, and Jadrick mentioned. Uh, I'm a trade specialist in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, I currently work in the public sector after years of private sector experience um, and my platforms are mainly youth development, trade development and regional integration and development. I think bang, that's bang. it in a nutshell. <laughs> you know, we like to keep it young and fresh. Yes. You know, yeah, for sure. But just yeah. in terms of background uh, for this episode, we know that um, there's been a lot going on in Venezuela, guys. And we know we've been looking at it keenly. We've been into our episode on this for the longest while, but we thought it would be best to start to do something that speaks really uh, to not just Venezuela, about the CARICOM uh, link with Venezuela and, what, and how what's happening in Venezuela is affecting us. And we thought that the migrant crisis, as it's been described, is the perfect conversation to have now, given all that's going on with our southern neighbors. Yeah, um, and, well, to think about it, imagine that since season one, Delano and I, we wanted to do an episode about this uh, when it just, when it first came up, but to think that, you know, we didn't get to do it that then, and now in 2019, the situation is still present that we're able to still speak about it but obviously it's shifted a bit in terms of now we're going to discuss the impact on you know Trinidad and the region it's just amazing that the fact that we wanted to do this last year didn't get to and you know months later things still are the way they are in Venezuela yeah boy I thought things would have eased up well definitely because I think I think the Venezuela crisis has been a slow burning issue um, especially for us here in Trinidad and Tobago, I think we would have seen the antecedents of, of what is happening now since maybe about 2014, 2015. Um, so I I suspected that it is it it would be something that would continue, and I mean I think for years to come we would we would continue to see the effects of it. And I was sort yeah. of um, not to not to seem um, to seem gorish, but. I think for, for students who are, are studying policy, issues, politics, political science. Mm, yeah, what I, a time to be alive. Exactly. <laughs> because it, it brings up it brings up so many issues, not just economics, not just politics, not just foreign policy. You have human rights issues, you have you have a range of issues that are sort of case study happening, unfolding right before us. That's and, true. Yeah, yeah at, at at in our day, um <laughs> not to song too old because that was a, a couple of years ago, but you know, the closest <laughs> thing the closest thing we had to a re- live case study would have been the Arab Spring and that was you know far flung and and sort of not not real to us but right here in our region our extended region you know this is happening and we see so many issues coming together um and you know the the effects of it I think again for people in the Caribbean is is one that we cannot ignore definitely and really and truly the world became engrossed on in in January uh when one weirdo became well he declared himself president and he Mm -hmm. said he would assume powers of the executive branch uh from that point on now obviously we've known for a long time going back to the days of Chavez uh, and the, obviously we know that Nicolas Maduro took over 
uh, when he was elected. Uh, really, he was a, what some people say a hand-picked successor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really, he was first elected in April 2013. And then, um, you know, he went on again uh, to be re-elected for a second six-year term. First of all, the terms are then kind of long. Six years, boy, that's a lot. <laughs> imagine, uh, imagine have to su- having to survive six years of a, of a Caribbean government. I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, that's, almost the, that's almost two of America's terms. Yeah. Um, that's almost it. And even in the Caribbean, we allot five years typically. They, they don't really run the full five years. It's usually four years, four years, some. Yeah. Other than, other than... Before somebody called election. Yeah, other than Gonzales. Then we don't go down that road. Don't do me that. Oh, wow. Well, you need, well, you need, you need Bob, from the short as well. Drink. You need a stronger drink, Delano. Let me see. So, from the short as well, he, he, he went all the way down. Uh, yeah, but he and, tried. And, he tried. And he then tried lost. <laughs> so, you Cam, know. He tried a thing, Kamla tried a thing too, but no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's definitely a difficult proposition yeah. to hold on to power for so long in, the, in these, these turbulent Caribbean times and places. Yeah. But back, back to Venezuela, in terms of Guaido, um, you know, of course, you have mixed views coming from the international community on his presidency whether legitimate or not but I would say if, if in Trinidad and Tobago or anywhere else in the Caribbean if I could go down to Woodford Square and declare myself president then what what would that do or how is that democratic? And I mean, mm, now this don't stop is, with me. This is exactly, and this this is not to say that um, the revolution need not happen. And this is not to say that um, that I'm against the notion, you know, in, in political science, is a, a notion that the mass movement needs no justification. It is mm-hmm. justification in itself, in that people. Um, advocating for change or a mass group of people wanting change that is justification enough for mm-hmm. change but i mean there, there has to be a method to the madness so to speak so i mean in 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 the u.s who trump is not by by no means a favorable president mm-hmm. but can somebody mm-hmm. march on washington and declare themselves president exactly can nancy, can nancy Pelosi decide that she that she doing that speak of the house yeah. it can't happen yeah, yeah. Well, Jerry, talk to us about um, the, the Constitution because I really kind of alluded to the fact that there are mixed views about it. But I think um, Juan Guaido, he was citing uh, part of the Constitution about why uh, Nicholas Maduro, in addition to the fact that they, they said the election was uh, persons were barred from running who were favorable candidates to the opposition and there was a, a mass crackdown in terms of his opponents and so on and it was not free and fair elections uh, but what is one Guaido's justification for trying to assume power well I believe that he was citing certain articles in Venezuela's constitution um, which typically say that the head of the National Assembly takes over as um, acting president um, Referring to the article, I think it was two, uh, 233 or something and like that. Right, and, and 333. Yeah, yeah, and they were basically mm-hmm. saying, you know, in the event that the election isn't f- free and fair and certain and certain things, certain criteria are not met, then the National Assembly really, the President of the National Assembly takes over as interim right. president until such time as right, a new yeah, election can be called. And I think that's what he's advocating for. I mean, I think in some aspects earlier, people are saying that he wants to be president. But I mean, how he's pushing it is like, I'm interim president until such time as an election can be held. Hell, well, that's the thing, and that's the difficulty because, again, uh, like I was saying before, there has to be a method to the madness, and not only that, but I- in terms of the method and and how we go about it or how he goes about it. Definitely, if I was his advisor, I would have given him different different um different recommendations because having the backing of the U.S. Uh, in the manner in which they are backing him, that little cock in the background, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's that, boy? <laughs> My apologies, my apologies. <laughs> we had a, a daytime bath today. Oh boy! Oh 
gosh. But yeah, having having that that US um, backing is significantly sorry um, um, deterring his success, I would say. And secondly, again. In terms of having the support, we also have to remember that Maduro would not be there if he did not have some element of support and support that went beyond the um, the military support. So, in terms of, of uh, um, asserting his power or asserting his 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 uh, I don't know accession to the to the throne, so to speak, um, I think the the method that he used is one that is not um, especially in that region. Exactly, and I was trying to be diplomatic about it, but revolution in Latin America is not new, mm -hmm. yes? But the means of revolution to be a respected leader is definitely not with the support of the U.S. Ooh, secondly, exactly. And secondly, again, to declare yourself interim leader in, a, in the context of um, a, 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 an election that, again, on the Maduro side, they are saying was free and fair, and then having the U.S. support it, I think that that, that is what is, is hampering him. Because again, mm -hmm. if, we, if we say that every time the U.S. says that election is not free and fair, there should be an overthrow. Remember, at the last election in, in Dominica, they said it was not free and fair. So it, it is very... Continues. Exactly. So we, so we, so we, are, we have to stress a very careful line here when we when we assert that elections aren't free and fair. Now, what I mean, and who, who makes them judge and jury? Ex exactly. Fair. And again, um, I cannot, and I'm not in defense of the Maduro regime, nor am I in, in defense of the of the Guaido regime. Um, but we we have to be very careful how we how we attach labels to things and the con to things and the conditions under which we say uh, change of of leader is possible. Mm -hmm. But we we we've zoned in on the U.S. Mm -hmm. But more than fifty countries have recognized. Uh, Guaido as the legitimate president and yeah. this is something that is unfolded globally mm -hmm. starting of course with the US and then the bigger Western powers exactly. uh, as well as of course we know that Russia and China remain uh, uh, strong supporters of President Maduro so not, it's just it's not just about really the US relations with, with Latin America the sort of geopolitics mm -hmm. that we know about um, the US and Russia and China exactly. also comes out and it comes into play and it's yeah. playing itself out here within Venezuela yeah. Delano, they there's yeah. a, a, a quote and again by the end of this discussion I am sure the embassy will revoke my visa but <laughs> there is a there is a there is a saying a Marxist saying that history repeats itself first as tragedy and then as fast because again <laughs> we've seen situations like this play out before again in our region most notably with Cuba and so even though there are what you said 50 odd countries who supported or who, who've accepted affirmed Guaido's uh, presidency it is partly or largely due to the fact that the U.S. has supported Guaido as interim leader or leader of Venezuela. And not and just again, that, they've been practicing like underhanded diplomacy exactly, to some extent. Exactly. Yeah. And again, we've seen where the U.S. and other countries, their allies, so to speak, have supported or have undermined regime for their own interests. And so it's, it's, it's a shame that when the Caribbean, as divided as we are on this foreign policy issue, but it's a shame that when Caribbean leaders now act in their own interest, mm -hmm. we are being... Um, exactly. That is the nature of, 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 like I said, geopolitics. That's the nature of international relations. That's in, in the best interest of, of your country. And if it is in the best interest of, of, of a particular Caribbean state because of, of, of um, the, what should I say, the charity of Venezuela in the past to, mm -hmm. to support all what we've done is to say we will not intervene, then mm -hmm. how is it that we could be, we could be chastised for that? Mm -hmm. Uh, but Jadrick, uh, I think Aurelia alluded to, to the, 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 she said that the Caribbean isn't, uh, doesn't have a singular voice on this particular issue. I mean, yeah. it, how, how was CARICOM in terms of 
what they've been putting forward about this. But yeah, that's the thing. Just that. Yeah, just because that position has been split in Caracom. Because when you look at uh, like I think it's Bahamas and Jamaica, Guyana, mm-hmm. you know Haiti, Saint Lucia, you know they do not recognize <laughs> the legitimacy of Maduro's president. Mm-hmm. You know, but obviously when we look at Dominica, Saint Vincent, Suriname, those those nations that have had close ties with Venezuela and the Maduro regime, then we obviously are in support of Maduro. Um, yeah, I mean you, you see it playing yes, out there because you know. some have been some have been abstaining like like Aurelia said, I mean the years of generosity I could think in uh, in St. Vincent the international airport that a big chunk of the money came from Venezuela. Yeah. We could talk right, about the yeah. Petro Caribbean uh, yeah. agreement that is benefiting nearly yeah, all of the right Caricom states. Yeah, yeah exactly. Know, so right as Aurelia was saying, when you have those kind of contributions from Venezuela mm-hmm. then why not support Venezuela? Exactly. I mean, and even if you look at the, the looking up to Jamaica in the north they have the, the, the refinery there that, that I think Venezuela has well has currently I know Jamaica's moving to take back the shares at the 50% uh, that Venezuela owns in the, in the refinery there. So it's a lot of things that are playing out in the background because, I mean, how, how do we as smaller nations, mm-hmm. I mean, not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not dependent, so to speak, but, but it's difficult for the smaller nations. And, and you know, it's in us yeah. as a people. We don't turn our backs easily yep. with the win when it comes to people who have been allies and who've helped us along but not in terms of our that, development. Not only that, Delano, but again, we've, we've held fast to, to, to our foreign policy position. And when I say foreign policy, I mean external to the Caribbean. We've, we've, we've held fast to that position. Um, um, Barrows, friends of all, satellites of none. And we've mm-hmm. maintained non-intervention as a region and individual member states in, in matters of, of foreign policy. So what we have to, to, to see going forward forward now is that when traditionally we've said you know this is not our business or we'd sit on the sidelines we'd either abstain or we think if we are to play a larger role or a more vociferous role in, in foreign policy and like i said that means external to the region then what happens next because we cannot say we dip in our toe in the water for this one but we pull mm-hmm. in it you're pulling your hand from the fire for the next one uh, so that, that. <laughs> exactly and then when you look at the countries that support we have to ask ourselves what level of coercion and again because you also have the, the fact that again a small island developing states small vulnerable economies our foreign policy like i said in terms of friends of all satellites of none is that we could maintain our mm-hmm. hand out to any anybody any that that will, you know yeah it's exactly true. It's true. and so these these four countries that you mentioned jadrick and um, they might be looking at again who can best serve us now mm-hmm. venezuela right, yeah. or a u.s ally and when we talk but about you, hmm? no i was gonna say when you look at it too and I think the U.S. has recognized this. I mean, you look at the fact that these these particular leaders were invited to, to meet with Trump, yes. uh, President Trump, and in, in, I think Miami. And the fact that if you look at their their visa waiver, they've extended yeah. it to these countries exactly. in terms of renewing your visa. They've extended it to the countries that have been going against Venezuela. So it's not to say that it's 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 it's, it's unspoken things. It's their deeds yeah. that yeah. are being done by the yeah. U.S. Assata. And then, when you, and look then at you, it, mm-hmm. you hear it on the ground as well, just from you know the the everyday person, because they would say, "Boy, you know, why St. Vincent supporting Venezuela in this? You know, yeah. what are we supposed to be in America because obviously they think of America as you know that first world country. Why wants to go to America? Why yeah. wants to be favored by America? So." that man on the ground would be like you know we're doing the wrong thing we should be behind america we should be doing what america is saying 
Exactly. And these countries, so you have Bahamas, who is near shore to the U.S., uh, you know, and they, they use the U.S. currency um, thing. Yeah, they're ja- almost dollarized. Exactly. Yeah. You have Jamaica, huge um, deportee um, challenges or crisis, and then again, um, visa. Yeah, I have relations as well. Exactly. And so on. Haiti and, um, and donations or aid from the U.S., and then we'll say, right. I don't know what Shastney doing there, but, you know. He's a rogue one. So, you know, <laughs> we... we we, we can't even think but you know so so they they have legitimate and perhaps in in their view and i mean as as an integrationist i would have hoped that the region would stand together i would hope that we organize our harmonized foreign policy but you know if the if the leader at, at this time felt that that was the best thing to do for their country and their citizens then you know i i can't hold it against them i mean but guys We've kind of zoned you now in terms of the politics of what's unfolding. Mm. But now trying to go in a little bit more now in, in terms of the humanitarian crisis. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why, are why have Venezuelans been fleeing, fleeing Venezuela? Mm-hmm. You see, I, I, and from our end, and maybe because I am a skeptic, <laughs> um, there are significant issues on the ground in Venezuela. We cannot ignore that. We cannot ignore that there are food shortages, that there are shortages of medical supply um, in, in terms of um, living conditions i i've i've heard first-hand accounts of 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 the the devastation i can only call it that in venezuela and as i was telling you at the start of the program you know we've been hearing these stories since and i want to say about 2015 i want to put a i want to put a year on it because we are four years later into this into this crisis since about 2015 um and i'm I'm going to preface these these comments and these accounts by the fact that trinidad and tobago and venezuela have enjoyed close relations as you know trinidad and tobago at its closest point to venezuela is seven miles whereas yeah yeah, whereas to tobago we are about 20 miles so trinidad is closer to venezuela than it is right in the thick of things exactly and so you find that as well one long before this crisis long before maduro chavez and the like um that there would have been migration between the two countries i remember my aunt um i can't tell you what year that was she'd probably um have a fit if i tell you how old (laughs) she is but went to went to venezuela as a as a in her in her 20s let's say had a child and all my, my cousin is Venezuela, born in Venezuela um, and came back. It was that free. We, we could go um, up to 2013, I believe it was. There was a ferry between Venezuela and Trinidad. The cost mm-hmm. was cheaper than a, co- than a ticket to Barbados. Let me go down. Let me go down. Let me go down. Let me go down. Don't do me down, man. No, don't let me go off on that tangent now. All right. <laughs> But you know, so so we've enjoyed close relations and and, and migration between the, the two countries for for some time. But in 2015, family in Venezuela, there are those who would have migrated long before. We had a whole family meeting because, of course, the elderly weren't able to to to, to access um hospital care. Medicine was in short supply. Jobs were, were weren't paying as they were before. Things like that. So since then, we've seen people starting to come across. At that time, it would have been just to buy supplies and return. And then right. over the years, we've seen worsening of the condition so there but, is Aranya, mm-hmm. let me let me just counteract that a bit I, I i know we've seen a lot in the media in terms mm-hmm. of the situation but there's also that narrative that that it's really not not fake news but it's being amplified exactly. so for example i remember recently i was at a forum at uwi cable and i think the minister the tourism minister called dominique i think robert tong mm-hmm. was his name and he had just 
people. He's still the current minister. Before he came to Barbados, he came from Venezuela, mm-hmm. and he was showing us pictures and videos, and he was accounting like, "Listen, it's life as is normal. Basically, the buildings are up. There's there's yes. not this mass protest in the streets." Yes. So then it kind of made me wonder. He was like, "You can't believe everything you see on CNN or BBC and so on." So it kind of made me wonder: Is is it something that's being fueled mm-hmm. by the media, by the international media, as opposed to what's happening underground on a day to day? I'm not denying that there are yeah, occasions yeah. of mass protests and so on. Mm-hmm. But from his accounts, at least what he told us at, at that forum, it's not as necessarily as bad, quote unquote, mm-hmm. as we're seeing on a day to day. Exactly. And which is, what I, which is what I was about to say. So that you have pockets, and again, um, based on social and income status, you would have pockets of, of that kind of devastation. And again, which is why the, the situation took years, I would say, to worsen, and it's probably still not at its at its depth, so to speak, because you have that you have to account for the social and economic stratification. So one, mm-hmm. what we see on the media, particularly on the foreign media, I don't want to call particular channels. Oh God, sorry, I could, take it back. Could could possibly be propaganda uh, fake news um, amplified to, 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 to stir that kind of um, sentiment that Venezuela is falling apart. But our own TV6 for example, they did a report they went to Venezuela actually and they did a report, I'm trying to remember what month it was but that was this year and the journalist was showing us that in, in Caracas, again the lights were on because there was reports of you know, mass blackouts mass, and people yeah, living in the dark. So, yeah. yes, that people were going to work, going about their business and, mm. and things weren't as bad as the foreign media was reporting. So I suspect that there is a duality where in some um, in some pockets or in some communities that there is that kind of um, devastation, so to speak, but that there is still a, a semblance of, of normalcy in other areas. Mm. That's, the, that's the only way I could account for the dis- disparity in reports that, that we are receiving. But again, I, I, I would I would like the, like the minister that you referenced, I would caution that not everything that we see on the news is fact. The other day, there was, I think it may have been in May, a report that, you know, there were mass protests in the streets against Maduro and it was their regular Labor Day march so you know we, we have to, to, <laughs> to be careful uh, you know how we how we put things not only that but if you're going to announce that you're going to have a coup then it's not really a coup is it <laughs> if Abu Bakr was to say yes tomorrow I'm going to storm the Red House no no that's not a coup that's a that is a call for media attention to say come and look and see what we're doing over here so how serious is it so so I think that there, there, there is a duality in what is happening in Venezuela. I think there is um, um, hyperinflation, if that is the term. I think that there is a segment of the population that facing shortages of all kinds, and I think that there is a semblance of normalcy as well. And I, th- and I think that is possible. I, that's my that's my position on that. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, Arela, it's definitely that, and I, I'm glad you mentioned inflation and hyperinflation, because I think that's a critical part of it. And I and I don't want to think, I want to also zone in on the fact that um, a lot of people have been saying, and I think it's a fair assessment of the situation, that, that the US is basically engaging in economic warfare. They say you know, small things in terms of what they're doing in terms of the sanctions mm-hmm. that they've hit um, Venezuela with. And it's also being done by the EU, by members of the EU, Canada as well. Yeah. And really what it's doing is crippling the Venezuelan economy. They can't buy stuff, I remember. They can't trade, they can't import goods. So you're, you're talking about a food shortage, yeah. right? And you're, 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 as the US, you're saying, oh, people are starving and so. But you, you, you put sanctions in place that does not allow the exactly. government to import food. You put but, things in place that doesn't allow them to, to, to utilize the, the, the resources at their disposal. In in terms of um being able to get oil and so on and to get to keep the refineries going and to keep the you know yeah. the electricity on and so on. So when you say A F C B has been exactly. in the region and it's A F C B and they've been crippling the Venezuelan economy. Remember recently in St. Vincent, even the diplomats in St. Vincent, the Venezuelan embassy, 
currency. They could not be paid because the money that usually paid them was routed through a U.S. bank. Mm -hmm. And because of the sanctions, the banks are refusing to send out their salaries to St. Vincent and their subsistence to St. Vincent. So, they, you know, and that's what's happening across the world. I think that's eventually sent to Russia or something and then exactly. come down. So, it's but, a lot that, that's going on there. When you look at even in terms of any ship, any entity, any business that does business with Venezuela mm -hmm. is being is being targeted by the U.S. and these, and these larger powers. So, when you say, you know, hyperinflation and we look at the fact that really it's reached, uh, inflation is, uh, what, what is it, 10 million percent in, mm -hmm. in 2019. It, it takes about 10 million dollars to buy a bag of bread and all them something there. So it, it's a lot that's happening. The money is basically worthless. But Delano, again, those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. Does this not sound familiar to us here in the region? It does. <laughs> does it not sound familiar in terms of other case studies? The only thing that is different or is amplified or, or has changed the nature of things or, or has made it easier for, for economic warfare is that now the global system is so intertwined and interrelated is two again the fact that some of these essential services like you were saying in terms of the financial transactions or, or, or whatnot routed through through um through the u.s system or the u.s economy that's the only thing that changed some of the economic tools did not exist before mm -hmm. but it makes it that much more effective or it makes it that much easier to mm -hmm. to to perpetrate this kind of systematic destabilization yeah, but, I mean, we've seen, but we've seen really this is. before we've seen it before it's just it's, it's easier to do now so to speak exactly because everything is so you know intertwined exactly. and, and and it's no, it's no coincidence that most of these bigger banks yeah. and so on. We have the corresponding banking issue that's going on, which is another issue exactly. that the region is trying to tackle. And all of that kind of shows the influence of the US in terms of the global financial yeah. system. So when and, we, when and we that, look, that's playing out there. Yeah. So even when we, before we get to, to the mass migration, when we look at the situation in Venezuela, we can point fingers at, at Maduro. We definitely can, and, and his predecessor, we can. But then we can mm -hmm. also point fingers at the, the systematic economic destabilization. And so I think there's a lot of blame to go around and when <laughs> again another another saying in the region when you point the finger three more pointing no, back, three at point you. back at you exactly <laughs> so that when the u.s says venezuela is in this state because of maduro they have to look at what are we doing to help destabilize so that we can get the kinds of um change that we want to see and then when maduro says it is part of the u.s he also has to consider what have i done to contribute to the situation your policies your economic exactly. policies i mean exactly. in, in unemployment is at 44 percent as of me yeah, i mean and when you think about the fact that venezuela has the largest proven oil reserves mm -hmm. it's amazing to think of the situation but then again i mentioned oil and again history again we know what happens exactly. when you have too much oil yep. and what yep. that means what that means is that the stakes are a lot higher and it means that the different factions are putting their heels to the ground now and they, they are perhaps even more resolute in trying to secure an outcome that is in their interest because you know again if it was a dollar bet you say well you, you can afford to lose that you, you turn around you look you look small you know, thing yeah. yeah but if you have if you have a lot on the line then you have to you you, you have to come you have home. to dig in you have to dig deep yeah. i mean we, we, we mentioned uh, the health crisis in terms of the rising infectious diseases hiv aids malaria and so on and, and, and this surprised me when I read this, 60% of Venezuelans, according to uh, a report I read on Reuters, uh, have reported in, uh, involuntary weight loss. Hmm. And it's stress. It's, 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 it's stress and you can't find food. <laughs> stress. Yeah. I mean, we, we, it's not a laughing matter. Eh? But it's but, serious, yeah. You know, yeah, it, it's yeah. serious. Serious. I mean, Janet, well, you, you, you could imagine you can't eat and you know, you're the man who's look at your physique and then something. Yeah. You can imagine <laughs> that situation where you, 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 all you, you all just... All your gym gains gone. Yeah, <laughs> you're just watching yourself <laughs> waste 
<laughs> no, yeah, because we've even had people here who went to, uh, you know, Venezuela and certain scholarships and so. And that's one thing that they've complained about, especially studying medicine, I think, as well. Mm. And obviously, they know how the health benefits and, you know, associated with e- eating properly and so. And that's the one thing they'd come back and say, I can't continue my program because just the way of, I can't eat properly. I can't get yeah. food. Food is too expensive. Mm. And that goes back to hyperinflation, of course. But um, I think when you when we discuss the migration later on, you would hear from those who've moved to Trinidad, who've migrated to Trinidad, they consider themselves so much better off in Trinidad. Yeah, I mean, the, you you know? it, it takes a lot to pack up and leave and don't know where you're going in our brother. Exactly. Because yeah. I, I was looking at one thing where a fellow was saying that, you know, he might make 150 TT a day and that would allow him to buy, you know, his three meals, breakfast, lunch yeah. and dinner. Whereas if he stayed in Venezuela, he would only be able to afford a breakfast given what he would be able to walk for in venezuela so it yeah. just goes to show the great lens that even though it seems like a lot to them they're much better off i guess yeah. that's normally the case with any kind of mass migration like that yeah when you're doing nothing boys how do you think and, and you know Trinidad, nice and cheap relative to <laughs> other parts of the yeah. region if they didn't migrate and come barbie that's a sorry for them <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but you know if you when you when you put it in context because i think you know sometimes we we, we look at things especially on the receiving end or or being out of it um you know you look at things and you consider the like i said the politics of the situation the economics of the situation but when you really get down to the human element and as you said you know it takes a lot for you to pack up and and leave up not even just pack up and leave a place but to get on a boat yeah, with the clothes on your back yeah then you you really come down to the human element of it and you come down to the to the real the all that yeah boy. all is that, that on that? top of there all that posturing all that country to country how many countries support how many countries mm-hmm. against who says yes Guaido irrelevant to the man who trying to find exactly, food exactly exactly not just I mean we see news reports and even in the registration you look at children and he's like yes I'm happy to be in Trinidad and I want to make new friends and you you, you consider mm-hmm. again for a child of 10 years old what does that mean to, to, to leave a place and, and, and to come to a, a country that you do not speak the language exactly yeah, yeah, that's the thing but guys how many have left and where are they going Jadwick where, where, where the we speak about these Venezuelans getting on boats, you know, taking chances, packing up their belongings and their family and say, hey, we're searching for better life, better opportunities. Where are they going and how many have left Venezuela? Yeah, it's a, there's an estimated 4 million people wow, that have that left, that. that have fled, you know, and hmm. they've gone to different countries. I think Trinidad is, it has received the greatest proportion of any other country. Relative to the um, size and so. Re- yeah, right. per, yeah, probably per capita, yeah. Yeah, and um, I, I, I read somewhere as well that about every week around 1500 venezuelans turn up at is it cedrus earlier cedrus yes cedrus right down there which is a <laughs> yeah you know a, a small port down here south of trinidad mm-hmm. and so when you hear those numbers that every week 1500 people turn up then you can begin to you know put some put that in in your, in your mind like mm-hmm. the, the mass numbers that are coming in yeah so i think about twenty-five thousand or so have arrived since 2016 you know it's twenty five thousand people but oh, but man, again that's, but as a quarter ag- of our population <laughs> I'm saying. yeah but um because i have a report from the um chief immigration officer um as at last year she was saying that 39,209 venezuelans entered in 
2016 those that is legally wow. so through legal ports of entry whether by boat or by plane um right. and in 2017 27000 sorry 611 came into the country legally of course that does wow. not account for um those that would have come in illegally but it also doesn't and i think this is where the numbers uh, why numbers are important but they can also be sort of distorted because you would have seen as well uh, in your background that um the UNHCR and other UN agencies were saying before this registration process they were saying about 40,000 to 60,000 Venezuelans mm-hmm. Venezuelans are in Trinidad and Tobago but i think what we what what we should also recognize is even though we would have seen that increase in arrivals legal arrivals and illegal arrivals remember again at that time and as the years would have gone on it would have been those who were coming yes 39,000 of them but a number of them were making trips back and forth so while you while you count the numbers that it's are entering right, right, we right, haven't right, counted right, right we don't have yeah, a figure of exactly because when she was asked about how many returned she said 39,200 um, came in 2016 38,339 left in that year so there mm-hmm. was there was a, a, a um, i don't want to call it a traffic because i don't want to conflate the two issues but yeah. there was a there was a flow of backward and forward <laughs> um movement yeah movement yeah. of persons between the two countries of course yeah. again we would have seen that it, through legal and illegal ports of entry that um the numbers would have been increasing so of course we have to account for that and then we also have to account for the fact that even though 39,000 something come we we have to also recognize that Trinidad and Tobago um continues to be one a destination for number of migrants but it's also a transit point for number of mm-hmm. them so mm-hmm. a number of them go on to whether it is the UK to Spain, to mm-hmm. other spanish speaking countries to the US or elsewhere um and that Trinidad and Tobago was just the closest port to get out and but it wasn't the final destination it was the final destination exactly. i know they even sometimes they said i read a report that said they were trying to move up the islands to for those who can't go uh, further they were thinking aruba curacao yes. grenada and so on yes. those 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 caribbean islands that are closer Yeah. yeah because even um even uh, recently we would have seen a report from St Lucia talking about the number of migrants that will come in um by boat to St mm-hmm. Lucia probably most likely from Trinidad and Tobago um so that they would come to Trinidad as a as a way station and then as you said move up the islands or even um back in 2017 I was surprised that um I think I was going to St Kitts at the time and there were a number of Venezuelans on my flight to St Kitts and I was like well I didn't know St Kitts was a hotspot right. for you know for Venezuela yeah. so well, it's changed enough actually you have a friend who was a um, who's studying in well living now in Dominican Republic mm-hmm. and she was telling me that there are a number of Venezuelans there yes, yes. um reaching as far north as Dominican Republic mm-hmm. yeah i mean and it was easier it, because the language is in so it's yeah, easier too, yeah. to yeah yeah but guys in terms of the possible issues for countries we speak about the fact that you know these, these Venezuelans are leaving and I'm going to jump a little bit more to Trinidad but in terms of the possible mm-hmm. consequences even even before they get into the country there are issues in terms of the debts in terms of crossing and so I know that the, the Trinidadian government has had to send out coast guard vessels mm-hmm. and so on to try to stem the flow and assist those because yeah. I, I you can't stand by and watch them drown as they try exactly. to cross yeah. in these boats exactly and so i think definitely we've seen an increased response from the coast guard you know of course everything is descended into politics but we've seen an increased response from the coast guard to to try to safeguard life and limb out on the out on the sea um and again increased um when i say border patrols i mean patrols on the coast for the police because of course their jurisdiction ends at the shore um and so an an increased interagency collaboration as well between the police and the coast guard on 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 safeguarding those migrants who are coming by boat and preventing as well those trinbegonians who, who whether out of charity or something nefarious are aiding the illegal entry of venezuelans so there has been an increased 
response and of course an increased response also means an increased budget to facilitate um, that kind of action and, and those kinds of um, endeavors so I mean you, you kind of have to wait I, I, again when you come down to the human element of it the boat that um, capsized I think they said it was maybe 39 people on board or only 9 survived I mean there is nothing oh. we cannot do anything but assist right. there is there is no other option we cannot say well let them come or no let them drunk or you know Canada or yeah you yeah. have you, mm-hmm. you have no choice but to expend the resources to assist I know at one time um, particularly during the registration period um, the Coast Guard was doing um, their tours to turn back boats as well because again the, the stipulation is that you would have had to, to, to come in before so you know we've seen an, an increased response from the government in terms mm-hmm. of attempting to deal with, with this situation but I mean in, in terms of like other issues the mm-hmm. possible strain on the healthcare system education yeah. and the other social system mm-hmm. as well as increasing unemployment because from your land you don't want a job you're unemployed yeah. and, and you, 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 you're creating issues for the government and, and the people turn it on to and you're a country that you go to for that matter. Yeah, yeah but, you're going to see a lot of underground employment there and persons exactly. trying to find these little jobs to do here and there just to survive. Yeah, so, exploit. They're going right. to exploit them too. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, and you would have seen as well that that would have been a challenge. So, uh, two things. Um, in terms of the unemployment, I don't think that the the government is is so um, concerned with that because that would not affect the rates of unemployment, which is what they would use on platforms. Yes, because again, it's true because they, they, they don't they're not there counted, officially. Yes, you are not so they're counted. not counted, so they can't so inside your unemployment. Exactly. But the, but so the real unemployment. Exactly. And then when you talk about the informal economy again in the Caribbean and Trinidad and Tobago, uh, the in formal economy is large and vast again not not um not solely illegal activity because there are legit i can't call them legitimate businesses but yes the doubles yeah. man is in the informal economy there was a big debate mm. about taxing doubles the other day can't tax doubles, but... everybody yeah everybody was up in arms so i wanted to be very careful with the example i use but he's he or she is in the informal economy right um so there is i mean there are <laughs> there are venezuelans selling doubles too right so they probably go to the doubles factory again the human spirit the human um the natural thing to do is where there is scarcity or want you create an opportunity they have to be enterprising to, to survive and so go to the doubles factory you you procure the apparatus and you sell you know you, you have to, to feed your family so to speak or they would you know work in other informal or or even formal um operations but yes so there is a, a benefit to it i see um of course the general public may or may not see it as such uh, you would have to contend with the venezuelans coming here to take our jobs but again if you were interested in wrapping doubles you would have been doing that if you were interested in being a store clerk the job was there before in 2016 um as part of an organization i worked with we had done a a, a a study with the aim of collaborating with the with with a particular ministry in Trinidad on looking at labor in the private sector, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we looked at the the, the kinds of um, labor that was needed and the number of vacancies in the private sector. So when you when you talk about KFC, for example, having five hundred plus vacancies in Trinidad mm-hmm. and Tobago, but nobody wants to sell KFC. Nobody wants to exactly. sell KFC. But the moment you see a Venezuelan selling chicken, you're vexed. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> this job. This job existed since 2016. Nobody filled it. When Mario's put out their ad in, in English and in Spanish, looking for dual, um, bilingual um, mm-hmm. cashiers and that kind of thing, you're upset. But the job existed long before. And you didn't want to do it. Exactly. So I don't, I don't hear those concerns. I saw that, like I said, 
before that there was a, a gap or a glut in, in low skilled and low skilled work there are there is a pool and we were talking about at that time the fact that again at 1.3 million people if you're looking to spur on the economy you're looking at economic development you might need a larger population birth rates are going down etc etc because of high education blah 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 the, the whole yeah. spiel yeah so but that, we, we know that we know that and, and exactly countries that have and i can think of antigua for example that have benefited from people coming in exactly. and, and, and settling there and so the difference however is that a lot of the people that came into these other countries were not necessarily high skilled mm-hmm. but they weren't as i wouldn't say they weren't as they were they were more qualified so to speak they were more educated than some of what you see right. in a typical uh, migrant crisis but, but again, I mean, there are proven benefits in terms of migrants right. and migration and, then and what they can do for the economy to... Right, so that's one thing in terms of low-skilled, no-skilled jobs, that there were a number of them in Trinidad and Tobago that were, that were available and were not being filled. Um, and that will deal with one segment of the labor pool who is crying out. Because again, because of the education policies, a number of people have tertiary-level degrees. They don't want to work in low-skilled or no-skilled jobs. But remember, this is not a typical migrant crisis, which means that a number of them that are coming are skilled workers. Exactly, exactly. They are teachers, there are doctors. I know of doctors who are frying chicken, you understand? Wow. I, engineers who are doing mm-hmm. gardening, etc., etc. So yeah, that boy. how then, so there is the element of low-skilled and low-skilled, and there are those who would take it, the teachers or the whoever, mm-hmm. who would take judges. I, I mm-hmm. Somebody told me that a judge pruning wow. weeds. So that, wow. again, when we talk about low-skilled and low-skilled work, there are those who would run to it because it is the quickest thing, the easiest thing, and it, it is a means to an end. But then we also... It's really a... A step down, so to speak, exactly. some people who've been living a different type of life yeah. in Venezuela. Exactly, and then well, we have, have but, it goes but, to show just how badly things are exactly. back there. But then we have the opportunity again, if you have skilled labor, you understand, you understand, to do other things, which is why I think I, I I support the registration process because then hopefully you would know the kinds of the kinds of skills that are available and how best we could utilize them within the economy. I don't see it, and again, I'm I'm not sure what the the argument on the other side is so to speak but i don't see a, a challenge with it because had it been anybody else uh, uh, coming to or migrating naturally and i mean people are looking at the numbers oh my god so many at once yes mm-hmm. but is there a need and can we fill a need or can we create that space to, to do something positive with it you know mm-hmm. Arella, jumping out this is this is your mm-hmm. this is your time now to just educate <laughs> me and jerry okay so what I mean, we've been doing all the general reading and something, but what has the response of the Trinidadian or the Trinbagonian government been to this crisis? So there are there are two two things, cause, two things. Because there there's the government response and then there's the response on the ground. I am wholly and utterly embarrassed by the response of certain segments of the population. Underground. And I yes, underground. And I want to apologize <laughs> to oh, the boy. region and to the world. For some of those headlines that you have seen, some of those things circulating on social media that just I'm taking it upon myself to apologize on their behalf. Right? <laughs> That's big of you. Yes. And because you and and in the same breath, I'm not condoning that kind of ignorance, but I'm confident that that those displays um, that you see from again just a segment of the population would happen elsewhere in a similar situation. Because it's human nature, as flawed right. and as ugly as it is, it is human nature. And I mean, we've seen it within our own region where some nationalities are looked down on or ridiculed. Oh gosh, look how much Guyanese here and Guyanese this. Yeah, or we see Bajans it this. Exactly. Mm. So I I I understand the ignorance but i don't condone it because at the same time you can't beat ignorance with a stick 
<laughs> that was just calcify it. You have to edu you have to you have to educate ignorance. And some That's of true. some of them are being misinformed. Do I want to say that they're being misinformed by the opposition? I'm not gonna say that. You probably shouldn't. Consider, but you could <laughs> but you could consider that that might be one source of the misinformation. Mm. Yes, just just consider it for a moment. <laughs> but 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 we've seen and in the same breath we've seen people capitalize on the on the xenophobia, act on the xenophobia, and and capitalize on people's desperation in a totally abhorrent um way. We've seen again um that the ignorance was further bolstered by um fear and issues of race and class because again we have not in the Caribbean as much as we want to pretend we have not gotten over race and class issues because especially the, in, in the South. Exactly the connection between race and class. So because you're you're fairer skin, they because I, I saw somebody saying, but look at how they're looking they're looking like they're fine. Why are they here? They don't need to and it's like okay, but because <laughs> oh, wow. you look because you look mm -hmm. a certain way, because you have a certain hair text does not mean or it's not immediately associated with economic class it's and it true. doesn't mean exactly it doesn't mean that you don't need assistance yes and again so while we've seen those kinds of abhorrent displays and the kinds of exploitation that i did not know was possible in trinidad and tobago you know we, we've also seen the best of human nature where mm -hmm. people literally yeah, literally would cook and and come to distribute food at the registration lines would 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 I saw um again as enterprising as Trinidadians are he, he set up a mobile print station so oh, persons wow. could so he had a printed document yeah and again a five dollars mm. a print which is roughly a little less than a dollar US for the print so it again, plenty yeah but you know it go yeah so that you know you've seen the best that we've seen churches open their doors we've seen mm. we've seen yeah. so we've seen the good the bad and the ugly in this situation and so the the population has mixed reviews. Like I said, the, 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 the sort of um, sup supposition that Venezuelans are coming to take jobs, again, we've, we've heard that. We've heard, again, the, the humanitarian element of they have nowhere else to go. We have to open our homes to them. We've seen that. We've seen in the, in the lead up to the registration, people were taking Venezuelans from the, from, from the police station to their homes out of just general kindness perhaps not even speaking spanish but saying you know we cannot leave we cannot leave them out out in the in the in the elements you know yeah. while yeah. they wait on registration so we've seen we've seen a, a myriad of things and in terms of the government's response as you know we have no legislation mm -hmm. we are guided by a 2014 cabinet policy and then of course this registr this registration drive is also another cabinet cabinet a policy coming out of cabinet so to speak sorry and so there is still no legislation to deal with refugees. And that's um, what that's what the opposition is calling for. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if they're trying to muddy the waters into, or is it a legitimate concern that there's not a comprehensive um, migrant mm. policy. Which I was going to ask because what I've, what I've seen as well is, well, it's politicians or not, but persons on the ground that their concern is whether or not they're for um, helping and assisting or they're the ones who are thinking, you know what, Venezuelans are coming in and taking our jobs, etc. That there isn't legislation in place to either say, to say what's what, to give a clear position to say, yeah. one, we okay. should be in a position to help them because of this, these laws, or we yeah. should be denying them, you know, any well, asylum or refugee. Trinidadians, Trinidadians are a special breed of people, so that you would find that in August 2018, when we had the situation where a plane load of, of Venezuelans were taken back to, to Venezuela, there were cries and shouts of, you cannot send them back, you understand? 
Olha o teu wicked. Exactly. You know you need to Olha o teu wicked. You can't do that. Oh gosh, the people need help. It's a crisis. The government not saying it's a crisis. Why they ain't do this? Why they ain't do that? Fast forward 2019. Okay, we'll register. We'll register them. No, it's too much of them. <laughs> Why are they doing that? <laughs> they go take jobs. You understand? So there is there is there is that back and forth of keep or or go. And again, they are not cattle. They are not chattel. We cannot be carrying on like that. So That's I think true. that the government response in that this is the position. This is what we are doing. I think they have to they have to to move on despite um opposition. From whether the pop- members of the population or the opposition now, in terms mm-hmm. of the opposition and government response, it is very um, interesting. And I hold no party card. I'm going to put that out there. <laughs> my my comments You're are most, just yeah, put it out. Check it out, yeah. My my comments <laughs> are purely based on what I have seen, what I have observed, and the data that is before me. If in 2014 this cabinet policy was made, that would have been. The period of time that the opposition mm-hmm. was in was power. In face. And people had a shot. Remember these hey. political business cycles. Well, that is all I'm saying. And if it was that legislation was needed, you had a whole calendar year because you string out elections to the last date to pass appropriate legislation. That was not done right. then. Okay. Fast forward to 2019. We're in a bit of a bind. We again go through the quickest route, which is through cabinet, to approve this registration um, um, policy or provision. Because then we also have to contend with the fact that had legislation been brought, would it have been passed? It's true, because you know, you know how things go. And in what time frame would it have been passed? And who on the other end of the of the of the 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 parliament would have said no? We can't put this because we have to do this. We can't do that because the government so why so? And then in what time frame would we have would we have done exactly. this exercise? You know you have to go to the the, the obligatory um political posturing exactly. when it comes to matters. Like it would these. have been it would have been a, a posturing. Then it would have been a joint select committee to take three, four, maybe six months. The bill would have lapsed. It would have to been brought back into the next se- the next session of parliament, and we would have been going at this. I I assume for for a longer period into the election, so it could become an election topic. That is I, that is what we have to. I, I saw with. I I saw I saw already. Um, PM Rowley said uh, I think we are not China, we are not Russia, we are not America. He was basically saying. You're a small country, mm-hmm. and, and and you know you have limited resources uh, in terms of what you can expend and what mm-hmm. you can accommodate, and you know you will not allow China will not be dictated to as to how it should deal yeah. uh, with the influx of migrants. Yeah. But just basically, in terms of a short summary, what what would you say has been the social and economic impact on Trinidad and Tobago of this migrant crisis? Firstly, I would say what I have said before. Sometimes. Dr. Rowley needs to be edited. So there was no need for him to go go into a statement as such, but it would have probably been prompted by before they said his stance was too lax, now his stance mm. is too strong. It cannot please the Trinidad and Tobago population. The yeah, economic exactly the economic and social impact, I think, is one that we cannot begin to quantify as yet, and one that we can only um, forecast or, or hope for. And again, in my estimation, so there would have been a significant outlay of, of um, funds, direct funding, to this registration exercise. The registration exercise is not yet complete because after they've done this initial, I would call it a screening process, they are still now doing their, their checks and whatnot, and then the cards have to be issued, right? Mm-hmm. So that is still manpower, that is still procurement of goods and services 
that have to be paid for in addition to the venues and the whatever else for the for the for the registration exercise then you have the issue of health and and health care and again it's the same thing on the one hand you're saying but why they not give it why they not allowing them to access public education but then you say why they allowing them to access health care you understand so mm -hmm. so yeah you the, the the public again is divided on on what should or should not be done is it going to increase the the, the public health care uh, or public sector spending probably is it important to spend uh, or to increase spending to, to, to afford um, that kind of health care? In my estimation, definitely. It probably is. Because you cannot, you cannot, um, and again, in the registration process, I believe that there was some health screening done, but you cannot say that this person is a segment of our population, though not a resident, though not a citizen, but allowed to work and they are not affor afforded or accorded emergency health, public health care. One, two, anybody... <laughs> not just Trinidad and Tobago nationals, not just Caribbean nationals, not just Venezuelan nationals. Anybody is allowed emergency health care mm -hmm, in care. Trinidad and Tobago. So that to me is a non-issue. Right. The only issue is that you have an increase in population, so to speak, a resident population. And so you, you might have a, a higher figure of fluctuation for the year that, that the registration cards are, um, are valid. In terms of education, they've taken the decision thus far, um, and again, they no are well education. within yeah, they are well within their right to to change their mind, so to speak, because they've changed their mind before, so they could come back and say, you know what? I saw somebody say my 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 opinion changes with the level of information I have. So no, I, but it I is think, true, and, and it should. And and that is the but that is the challenge that this government is facing. One and like I said, you cannot beat ignorance with a stick. You have to educate it. And if they were given facts and figures, if they were given this kind of information before, then it would have been a, in a better position. But the challenge is again with illegal entries, and they, like they could not give an accurate estimation, and they were not committing to the UNHCR's estimation of how many Venezuelans were here. So now that they've satisfied themselves that they could. They, that they have a number, this um, 16,523 Venezuelans that were registered. Registered that, in the migrant registration program. Yes. Now that they've committed themselves to this figure, now you are seeing information coming out. Wait, now just you are quickly, seeing, mm -hmm. in terms of the, the migrant registration program, so you said around 16,500 were registered. Yes. They are allowed to work. Uh, they must comply with the employers must comply with the labor laws. They must yes. pay PUIE, which is pay as you earn yes. uh, tax. They do not pay national insurance. No. And um, they will benefit from free. Well, like you said, that, that's for everybody. Mm. But there's no guarantee to education or social services. No. So that's basically we, in a crux what the seen, migrant registration was. Yes, but we've seen that there are elements, civil society organizations are assisting with education. So we've seen that, um, again, with the aid of um, faith-based organizations, that they are opening sort of education centers um, for migrant children. I think they said that 2,421 of those registered were children. Um, they didn't give us a cap on age and in terms of what they've defined children as, but they said 2,421. I would assume that that means up to what we call children up to age 17 or 18. Um, so there have been faith-based and, and civil society organizations working on education and ensuring that migrant children have access to at least some form of education or some form of, of normalcy. But in terms of access to public education, they don't have that. Um, and I wanted to, to comment on, on again, this this question of whether or not they are allowed to vote and whether or not it's an election. I, I was just going to ask you that because you don't know election season or the yeah. new political party, yeah. all kind of thing happening. Exactly. So I was going to say, what is it? Well, what are the 
community will vote we're going on because you, you know come not talking about that exactly and again i want to preface this by descending this into politics and party politics is disgusting <laughs> but again if we saw like i said uh, between 2014 2015 we saw an increase in the number of venezuelans and in 2015 election there was the posturing because at the sake of opposition in the caribbean is to oppose regardless of which parties in opposition they have yes they have certain um certain rules and guidelines to live by and at that time Kamala herself and her government was accused of allowing residents um allowing um venezuelans to come in and granting them resident status <laughs> for the purpose of voting so for voting i remember that so, big scandal exactly so it is interesting now almost five years later that they are now pointing the finger in the opposite direction but uh, what i would say is there is absolutely no way now the minister pointed to the fact that this registration card and the government has taken pains to call it a registration card and not an identification card it's true. <laughs> right regardless of what the media is saying because the media does its own thing when it gets into the editing room but they've called it a registration card now the ebc even the election and boundaries commission yes they are the pur- purveyors of the electoral role but they are also the public body charged with registering all residents citizens and whatever other categories in Trinidad and Tobago so they must play a role in this process of course because the opposition is pointed to the EBC's involvement as though it mm-hmm. has something to do with the election but let me point out and Jadrick you might be able to come in here that according to the legislation the constitution of Trinidad and Tobago voters Trinidad and Tobago citizens 18 years and over who are resident for more than two months in a particular constituency citizens the second category of voters, Commonwealth nationals, same 18 years and older, but you have to be living in Trinidad and Tobago or resident in Trinidad and Tobago for one year and then be two months in a particular constituency to vote in that constituency. Not- and that was a similar thing with the, um, the Ventos case recently at CCJ, with that, Ex- that whole common- issue of Commonwealth. Exactly. But then you have a category right, of yeah. n- non-Commonwealth citizens, again, 18 years and over, with five years of residency. And then there is a, a proviso that non-Commonwealth nationals, who again, with that five years, they can only vote in local government elections, but not in general elections or THA or Tobago House of Assembly elections, so that as a Venezuelan national with a registration card, not an identification card, and the, like I said, the minister took pains to, to mention that this registration card is not points towards resident status, is not points towards citizenship. It is not a part of that either process. If you want to go and get registration um, citizenship status on your own, that is up to you. But the registration card is separate and apart from those two processes. So that as a Venezuela, Venezuelan national, you are not a citizen of Trinidad and Tobago. Scratch off number one. Mm-hmm. You are not a Commonwealth citizen. So scratch You're off number not. two. Mm-hmm. And therefore, as a non-Commonwealth citizen with a registration card for one year, you do not satisfy the criteria of being well, resident five in five years. Mm-hmm. And even if you were you are still not allowed to vote in general, in general elections. elections only or Tobago, elections. Exactly. Or Tobago House of Assembly elections. You could only vote in local government elections. But Aurelia, is a lawyer. She's been in parliament for a very long time. And, and she just spoke about it. this. So she should know this. But not only her, and that's what I'm saying. So, which is why I I, I have to I, again not condone, but I have to to see or or I could I could I could the ignorance that is being displayed. I could pity it 
I could say, oh gosh, poor thing. Because they are being misled by those who should know better. And that is where you place the blame. Those who should know better. They, they, they know better. But they, yeah. they're exploiting the, the, the ignorance of the speaker. Of, the people of the when it comes to these sometimes, Yeah, sometimes we underestimate the level of education or the level of awareness, political, social, legal awareness in Trinidad and Tobago. You have high ah. education rates, yes. You have high literacy rates, yes. Mm-hmm. But there is still a segment of the population Again, you know they, they have the um what what we call crap when I see politics where you can put a you know you can put a. That's the first time I hear that one more. Let me hear that again. Yes, that's a good one. Any any crap when I see to in certain constituency you can put you can put. Yeah 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 we we have something similar. Yeah. We just say just just bait and come. Just bait and come and you can run. Exactly, you can put a frog up for the election and they will vote for it. That is how it is, and so they they cling on to to headlines, and which is why it's important for the fourth estate to be as impartial as possible as well. It's important for the for the media to get it right because people depend on them. People aren't going to go and sit down and read. But I agree, and Aurelian, to be honest, when I saw that story, I said, "Why are you even covering that?" Yes, yes, the opposition leader said it. Well, you know better. Give, you know yeah, better. Yeah, don't yeah. give that, light. That, to, you shouldn't so, get as much. You don't give it that no, yeah, platform so, to pursue that kind of thing. Yeah, but. don't give yeah, light. It's a part to, of the awareness, yeah. Exactly. Because as, as succinctly and as easily as earlier just put it, I mean, you could easily just disseminate that kind of information. Yeah. Take off these three boxes and establish and let people know why, why? this can occur. And, also, and I think now, again, which is probably a little late, but now the government or those those in power are trying to do that kind of, um, you know, fact sheet and put things right. out to the public. But you should have been doing that from the start because we overestimate, <laughs> you know, um, the level of awareness and the willingness of people to go and go in search of facts and to, to dig deeper into, into some of these issues. Because they just take what is on the platform of choice. They t- And when I say platform of choice, it could be a political party, it could be a media platform it could be ian allen in a studio actually edit that out because nobody is going to send me a pre-action protocol letter <laughs> and no guys that you can't like soak your wait when i say you know him wait wait according to according to alexander there can be no fakery in the bakery <laughs> if you're making he said if you're making currants roll make sure you have me try have currants in the roll you understand i have caught clothes already for them but um... no but a lot of it as well as the fact that when you have this information out there already it's kind of hard to correct it because persons are already of this certain committed belief. to yeah. exactly and they're they're just set on that yeah. so when you come now with these fact sheets and trying yeah. to change information your perception yeah. people are like no i heard yeah. this already i don't want to hear this new thing and like i said the other day with this protest unfortunately at the time of the ghanaian president's um visit you had this this protest of of migrants themselves whether mm-hmm. forced migrants whether whether voluntary migrants you're looking at african descendants <laughs> descendants of of syrian and arabian um um and Ancestry outside of the Oval, Oval protesting registration. The goal. <laughs> but oh, you cannot. You can't. The goal. <laughs> the, goal. The, the, the belly. What, the audacity. <laughs> exactly. But you cannot be bullish with that kind of ignorance. You have to do the slow work of trying to educate them. People who did not make up their minds for themselves cannot change their minds for themselves. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, so, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Just before we wrap up earlier. Mm-hmm. I, you know I like to chuck in a little thing. I like Rowley. Rowley, he's, he's a frank speaker to me. Wait, and I was talking about the top, the, the tier two ranking. Oh, that, that was recently <laughs> handed down by the US State Department in terms of the trafficking in, in mm-hmm. persons report. And Rowley. They had some strong words to say about that, you know, the, the, the audacity. Yeah. Come on, the goal. 
if you according to according to to finance minister Inbud, if they name man, tell them come outside. <laughs> come outside. <laughs> is it what the emotion is? What vexatious, frivolous, arduous, exactly, exactly. But in in terms of the ranking, I think that um, one prime minister only, as I said before, sometimes his frankness is very good for entertainment. But in terms of <laughs> you know a little bit of shame factor, a little bit of embarrassment, like oh gosh, oh gosh, Rolly, you gotta. You didn't have to say it so much. Yeah, yeah. You didn't have to put it so plain. Uh, but in terms of the rankings, again, maybe be, being the skeptic that I am, and maybe I should try to take a trip to the US because it might be my last. But <laughs> in terms of the report, who is in tier one? The United States of America. Of course. Amongst others. Despite the fact that, and I'm quoting here directly from the from the, the reporter, mm -hmm. that government, the US, that is, meets the minimum standard. Now, we don't have a maximum. We don't have a threshold. So you're, 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 you're bottom of the barrel here still. Right? Mm -hmm. um, even though it issued fewer victims trafficking specific immigration options, prosecuted fewer cases, and granted fewer foreign national victims of trafficking eligibility to access benefits and services. Lack of sustained efforts to address labor trafficking and lack of sustained efforts to strengthen oversight of employment based on other non-immigrant visa programs and continue to report victim services were not always provided equitably. But this is what we should aspire to. <laughs> Secondly, sorry, and I know we're going over, but in our second tier, I just want to point out that we are in good company with seven other, I believe, CARICOM member states. So welcome to the club, guys. <laughs> um, in tier one, I think Guyana made it to tier one and the Bahamas hey. made it to tier one. St. Kitts and Nevis and Grenada did not even make it on the list, so I don't know what that means for them. <laughs> and then in tier three, Barbados and Belize. I don't know what Mia Motley is saying behind closed doors, but clearly Trump is not a fan. <laughs> um, but even in terms of our our the explanation of our ranking we have been in tier two since 2017 so mm -hmm. i take it neither as a as a this so to speak or as a mm -hmm. commendation mm -hmm. in terms and of I how mean, you guys are handling yeah and i mean the and the synopsis is um factual i would say or is um understandable um except for the fact that they they mentioned potential government complicity in trafficking cases and i don't know what that means and i don't know mm -hmm. if they are trying to point to something more nefarious I don't see it on the ground here, but again, things happen behind closed doors yeah, exactly. that, that yeah, we don't yeah. know about. So I think that know. there are elements of the report that are true in terms of prosecution of cases. We have a we have a problem with that. We know that. Um, and in terms of increased trafficking in in, in or instances of, of trafficking, I've, I've I understand that. Um, and of course, they pointed to this Venezuela situation not by name, but of course, mm -hmm. did not oh, adequately yeah. screen migrants or asylum seekers for trafficking indicators. But we tell earlier we're working on some. Since 2014, but we try it. We try it. We try it. Definitely. So, Jadrick, you know it's your time. You know it's our time. You had to start it. What are we drinking to this week? What are we raising our glasses to? The discussion has been. I mean, I didn't even realize how much time has passed. It's like our longest yeah, podcast been, episode thus far. Yeah, but I've really 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 talked plenty. I've talked plenty. That's why. <laughs> I just can't interrupt you when I'm learning things. I just yeah, like, no, yeah, yeah, we learned a lot today. I think our viewers are going to be real happy with Aurelia. Yeah, the depth of discussion and, and, and the insight yeah. and all that stuff that came out today. So I'm happy for it. And you know, what are you drinking to this week? Jeez, well, I, I feel bad because what is like a, a 180? <laughs> 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 I um I was just going to big up ourselves, uh, St. Vincent, for <laughs> our carnival, our Vinci Master we just had. Oh, we have been and featured in a number of places. 
you know um, I think Essence.com is a, a good one nice. there's a good write up there about Vinci Mas oh, yeah, and you know throwing us out there uh, giving us some publicity comparing us to you know the likes of Trinidad and so obviously our mass has been going on for quite a long time they like to say 40 something years here in St. Vincent but it's a lot more than a that I think it's 40 yeah. something years for the July when we shifted to July, July before yeah. we used to be in February like Trinidad so it's a long time but at least you know we're getting some publicity I'm glad for it I'm glad that whoever was in charge of it that you know made it happen um, but yeah big up to Vinci Mars I had a good time and yeah next year I hope to see a lot more persons coming Aurelia hope you come come on Aurelia yeah. well not to yeah. be in Vinci girl oh gosh yeah yeah so I just want to drink that definitely Vinci Mars drink to that Aurelia what you drinking too well I was thinking in the context of this discussion in the context of three young people having a chat i'm drinking to any and everybody who um who might be working arduously for a better life whether it's a migrant whether it's young people like ourselves working towards um doing something better or, or securing their future i think um i will drink to that and to vinci mass 2020 carnival in Trinidad <laughs> 2020 yeah. and speak it in the being in tongues yes. not just in tongues of traveling in tongues there are pockets as well yes yes anything that <laughs> you do any legal thing that you do legally legally to secure your future yes yeah so we could definitely drink to that we could drink to that definitely what we drinking punching or you had to drink something so it's punching sunset yeah if you if well yeah you see we could do that if you but right now I'm in St. Lucia so I'm drinking I'm drinking um, I'm drinking wedding bounty and chairman's reserve bounty chairman's reserve you know and I feel after after I come and give you all this profound thing about the young people chasing the jeans I feel bad now because why are you drinking to this week at St. Lucia carnival but I'm spending I've opted for St. Lucia Carnival this year and it's been going great so far. St. Really? Lucia is beautiful. I love it here. Yeah. And uh, I just want to raise my glass oh, to the hospitality of oh. the St. Lucian <laughs> people. Uh, I've been enjoying it so far. It's a, yes. it's a wonderful place. And I just want to raise uh, yeah. my glass to the region, really. We, are, we have a yeah. wonderful region with so yeah. many different nations with things to offer. Yeah. And every time I Definitely. go to a new country, I'm just, I just feel so In blessed. Yeah. And, that's, and that's why I always push for regional integration because it really brings that spirit alive in me when I touch them in another country and definitely. get the joy of experiencing something different. So I can raise my glass to that. Definitely. Yep, definitely raise a glass to Cheers. that. Yes, for sure. Guys, it's basically at the end of the podcast. I really want to thank you for uh, being on this episode with us. Thank you for embracing definitely, definitely. season two. Yeah, really, yeah, thanks for coming. It's It's been a great episode. I think us having these guests on now, it's really bring a different light to the podcast but um it's been great we have to keep it up and yeah this has been episode three everyone